Today we're talking with Garrett Hammond from Google about how to grow your career in large corporations. Let's get rolling. Software runs our world. It's at the center of everything. And you, a passionate software developer, are at the epicenter. The world needs you to be the best you can be. Welcome to the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Summerdahl. I'm driven to develop and code because coding saved my life. In a few short months, I went from floundering junior to sought after senior and on to architect and eventually CTO. All the things I've learned through the years, I wanna give back to you. Join me and a new guest every week as we share the tools and skills you need to become a driven developer and make a more meaningful impact on our world. Hey everybody, we're here with Garrett Hammond from, I don't even know where, Garrett, I don't even know where you're from anymore because it used to be North Dakota, South Dakota, Tennessee, Alabama. So who knows where you are? I'll, I'll give you a chance to tell us where you are in a, in a second. But also Garrett is, is working currently with, with Google on the, uh, the platforms team for uh, Google Play. Did I get that right, Garrett? That's correct, yeah. Awesome. So Garrett, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I'm currently a, a senior software engineer at uh, Google. Um, I've been with Google for about uh, almost six years. Uh, I'm currently in uh, Santa Clara. Before that, I worked uh, with uh, Nokia for about 10 years uh, in San Diego. And uh, part of that, I lived in Texas. So I've been sort of all over the place. I'm kind of a nomad, I guess. Um, but my career has mostly been in large corporations. Um, and I guess I wanted to focus focus on that. Yeah, yeah, that's what definitely what we will talk about today. Um, I know uh, I've been following you through the years, and um, I saw that you were at Nokia for a a really long time. You just said ten years. That's a long time to be in one place, especially for for somebody like me. I've I I usually have have jumped from one thing to the next. Um, I've been I've been with Ackland Avenue now for eleven years, but that's that's been the longest thing I've ever done. Um, so what were you doing at Nokia? Uh, so Nokia, I started out um, working on Series 40, which is like the old uh, like the old Matrix phone. That was a Series 40 phone. Uh, that was like Nokia's like grand uh, platform that was popular all over the, the world. I think we were the biggest. Well, we were the biggest for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was obviously the very public uh, downfall of Nokia. Um, consumer electronics is a tough, is a tough business. Um, but yeah, with Nokia, so I've always been, I was actually a mobile phone engineer for my, my whole career there. So I worked on basically application level software. I started out in series 40 and then I went to series 60, which was sort of like a smartphone platform that predated modern smartphone platforms. Um, it was based on some old technology called Scion, which was developed uh, in the nineties. And uh, really didn't um, didn't hold up well compared to to what big tech was able to come up come up with with Android and iOS, but um, but uh, it was kind of cool because I could say I was working on smartphones before they were popular. I guess that was sort of like the BlackBerry era, and then uh, finally I uh, worked on Windows Phone after Nokia announced the partnership with Microsoft, 
um, which was really cool because I got to use uh, uh, Microsoft the Microsoft stack and get into into C sharp and and um, that technology had really been progressing well and it's still like one of the best stacks maybe the best stack to work with like the, the C sharp resharper Visual Studio I don't know if I would rather program in any environment but um, that was really cool I got to work on some of the first Windows Phone uh, platforms. I, I think I wrote the first app. I was on the Nokia Windows Phone device. It was a contact transfer app that let you transfer your contacts over Bluetooth from your old your old Nokia phone. Um, that platform was, um, as as you might know, fairly short lived. Uh, sort of got uh, we, we were never able to build that the third ecosystem, and uh, and we have today you know basically uh, Android iOS dominant world. Um, so. Yeah, as I mentioned, about six years ago, I joined, uh, I moved to the Bay Area, um, where all the action is, and I, uh, I joined uh, Google uh, in Mountain View working on uh, on Android on Google Play, which was... Um, yeah. So Nokia, Nokia lost you, and then you, you went and worked for, uh, what, the dark side at that point? Yeah, well, technically, I was, so Microsoft bought the smartphone business, uh, so I was a Microsoft employee, kind of, sort of, for like... Um, like nine months or something. Hmm. And then uh, they laid us all off and they, they uh, shut down the whole, um, the whole platform. The, the new, actually what happened is uh, the CEO of Balmer was, was really trying to build the smartphone platform, but then Nadella, the guy who's built um, Microsoft into the, you know, the even bigger behemoth that it is today, was more into, into cloud. So they, they kind of moved in another direction on a very high strategic level. But uh, Google is very much still on the smartphone. So, yeah, I, I kind of joined the dark side over here. Um, and it's a completely different world uh, working for big tech uh, than working for a uh, – I mean, Nokia was a big tech company, but Nokia was also primarily a manufacturing company. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Google is primarily uh, – well, Google is actually a media company, an advertising company. So it's, it's yeah. a – they're considered big tech because um, Google developed so much technology that we use, um, but it's a, it's a different world, and uh, it's definitely been an adaptation process. How many were on the dev team at Nokia? Uh, so my team, I was on the apps team for Windows Phone. I think our we had like thirty people under one manager, and I was one of the principal engineers. So I you know I would lead lead Scrum teams and help. Uh, manage backlogs and, and things like that. Um, I think it was about 30 people, 30 developers. We had a QA team, which was another org. And then we worked with the product team and um, and occasionally with, with marketing and things like that. Yeah, for some people, 30 is, is quite a sizable dev team. But now I know you're, you're working on a on a completely different scale. Like we're not talking about 30 developers. We're maybe talking about 3000 developers or maybe a lot more at Google. Well, so yeah, Nokia, it was like a matrix org. So there were like many scrum teams in, um, within the, the dev team. So you, it's not like you had your scrum meeting and like 30 people would have to go around. Um, but yeah, so at, uh, at Google now, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you could say, well, I'm working on Android and Android's like this giant virtual organization where, People from all over the world work on, but um, technically my piece is uh, is the I'm on a Beyond Mobile team, um, which basically focuses on form factors on Android, like uh, for, like Android TV, Android Wear, or just Wear, you should say. Um, 
that team, I think we only have about, I want to say 12 engineers on my, on my, under my specific manager. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, actually before speaking of where, before we started recording, something interesting happened, uh, like, uh, for, for you listeners out there, I was talking with Garrett about where, where he's, where he is right now, just catching up. And he said he was, uh, on the play team and working on some wear stuff. And I, I held my watch up to the camera like this. And he's like, Oh, is that a, is an Android watch? Is that a wear? And, and yeah. And so which, which app did you just release? So I work on the play store app, but what we launched was the, um, the cross device install feature. So basically, um, if you go to the play, if you have a wear device and you, um, and you go to the play store on your phone, uh, you can install apps from your, from your phone, to your watch. Like directly from Google play. Yes. That's, that's really cool. Actually, when we were talking earlier, I didn't realize that that's really cool. Like normally I would have to go to the wear app and I would have to go through that or, or, uh, or maybe, maybe do some things on my phone to kind of finagle things. But you're, you're you just made it easier for me to load apps onto my, onto my watch. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to browse on the watch. It's hard to browse. Like you have to do voice searches. Uh, you can't mm. really, I mean, you can type a search, but it's, it's extremely painful. Um, so it's, yeah, it really helps people get, get the apps that they want under their, under their watch. After this podcast, I'm going to use your feature, Garrett. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use it and I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, it, that's one of the, one of the coolest things I think about being a developer is that we can, we can build things and then potentially thousands or millions of people are, are impacted by what we do when we, when we put something out in the market. Um, and and conversely, if we uh, if we put things that are out out in the market that are qu- not quite baked, not quite ready, then we can affect them on the other side too. Yeah, I mean, developers pride themselves on being um, on being very solid, writing good code, and, and things like that. But sometimes you you don't prioritize that. You prioritize getting things done quickly, and you accept that there's going to be some margin for error. Yeah. Uh, so Garrett, tell us. Uh, a little bit about how you got into programming in the first place. Um, well, I think it was basically hanging out with you when I was a kid. Uh, I think, uh, so my, yeah, my dad had a computer. I think he was doing his budget on it or something. Uh, he was really into, um, into, uh, he, well, he was going to school at the time to, to become an electrical engineer. He, um, when he was younger, I guess he was into uh, music and then he eventually, started building amplifiers and then somehow I got into electrical engineering from that. And then uh, as, a, as an offshoot, when I was fairly young, um, uh, I learned how to, my dad bought an Apple II plus. It wasn't even an Apple II C, it was an Apple II plus. It was very, it was old, it had the green monochrome monitor um, and you couldn't do too much with it, but uh, I was completely fascinated with it. Uh, I eventually, I, I picked up, um, a basic book and learned, uh, learned basic. Um, and it was just, to me, it was just extremely compelling as a kid. I just was somehow sucked into it. Um, it was just, it was just, it was just completely fascinating that you could, that you could write a game and create an experience on your own with, with the, with the, with the keyboard and a monitor. Do you remember what we used to do? Uh, well, we used to like sit and we would like dream about games and stuff and we'd, we'd sit around and, and, I think you had a C64, which was even more cool. 
that's like that's like one of the classic platforms of all time people still like you know reminisce and like at my first job some guy built a little shrine to a commodore 64 (laughs) people people love that thing because it was it was really powerful um and there were like you know we used to download i remember we used to download games on that and and uh, you know the the load eight comma eight comma one and just (laughs) you sit you'd sit for like an hour and hope that it would load and then like half the time it would it would crash but uh it was so fun you know playing all those games and um a lot of them were, were pirated, you know, and the, and the piraters, they would like crack it and they put the little demo in the front. Then the demo became a scene where people would like make better and better demos and there were competitions. So it was pretty wild. The, um, I mean, of course, the, the, the computer world is even wilder today, I suppose. But back then as kids, it was, it was pretty wild and compelling. What I remember, Garrett, is, and, and this might bring back some memories, is that we would be over at your house over there in, in colony colony house. Um, and we'd be in that, that little room right next to the staircase. Yeah. And we would, we would write a game like a, like a, a text adventure or something like that. Just a bunch of like logic and, and, uh, and, and some, some arrays or whatever. I don't even know how we did it, but, um, we would write it on your Apple computer in whatever basic syntax was, was compatible there. Then the next weekend you'd come over to my house and then we would rewrite it on the Commodore and we'd make it a little bit better. And then the next weekend we go back over to your house and we would rewrite it and make it a little bit better. And it, and what's crazy. I don't I don't know if you remember this. We would print out the code on paper and like throughout the week, be be writing on the paper, making notes, and like, and then the next time we'd, we'd get to the to, to one of our the other person's house, and we would take that paper and we would use it to to download in air quotes the, the code for this for our game. Do you remember that? Vaguely, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Crazy, yeah. Uh, I remember the dot matrix printer, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, that's iterative development, right? Uh, uh, it's very common in software where you write something and then, uh, you know, you, maybe you don't have the, maybe you have some new ideas as you write it. You want to refactor it. Um, uh, but sometimes the, the thing to do is just rewrite it and then, and, you know, and it's much better. And, and the old thing is just, you know, like a terrible monster and you just throw it away. <laughs> you ever heard of Kent Beck? Uh, I don't think so. Have you ever heard of um, extreme programming? Yes. Okay. Kent Beck is the inventor of uh, of extreme programming. Extreme oh, okay, programming cool. one of the one of the the um, the hallmarks of extreme programming is pair programming, and so yeah, Kent Beck is is credited with having popularized or invented pair programming. He's like the father of pair programming. But you and I were doing pair programming in the eighties before yeah, Kent I mean, Beck was anywhere near extreme programming and agile. We invented pair programming, Garrett Hammond. You and I. Yeah, we did. We should have. Um, we should have. We should have taken that and run with it. When we were eight and nine years old, we should have written a book about that. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'd be retired by now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Man, uh, I, I cherish those memories. Uh, that's, that is, um, 
that's absolutely where I got my, where I got my start. Uh, everything has, uh, has, has come out of those moments. And I remember there was a time when like you moved away and, um, and I came in to visit you and I was expecting you to have, have like completely continued launching in the direction of software development. And I think you were maybe into sports or something like that. And, and I always felt sad because, because you, you, it seemed like you were moving away from software development, uh, and, and coding. Maybe you were just tired of it. Yeah, it was tough because, well, I guess growing up, you know, you start to like meet girls and stuff. So you want to like, um, you want to like uh, do things that impress them. So that maybe that was part of it. But um, I mean, obviously I did get back into software development. I, I am also sad though, because um, I wish I had somehow, somehow maintained like an entrepreneurial spirit and, and taken that. Um, obviously, you know, you can always do that in life, but um but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I understand um, your sadness. It is kind of a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so so let's. I, I don't know who 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 in the audience is really caring about our reminiscing. Uh, it's fun for me, but um, but we'll 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 transition away from that. So um, uh, obviously, everybody can tell that Garrett and I go way way back. Uh, so. Garrett, tell me about something that excites you about the future of software development. Um, well, I'm kind of into like what everybody else is into right now, which is like uh, decentralization. Um, so right now we live in kind of like a like a big tech dominated world where, you know, all the software platforms are developed by big tech, tech all the social media platforms. Um, it's, 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 it's dominated by, by large companies, which is OK. You know, it kind of makes sense that it happened that way. Because they can sort of like, um, like, you know, Google has created very good standards for, for how ads are displayed on the Internet. You know, if you look at back in you know, the early 2000s, there was just like a, like a horrible mess of pop-up ads and flashing banners. Yeah. And uh, Google has done a good job of, of fixing that. You know, Facebook has, you know, a great social media identity system. But I'm kind of excited about like, um, like giving people opportunities to sort of like develop their own like nodes in a system that uh, that's, that's more decentralized and, and, you know, blockchain is kind of like an example of this. Uh, although, although um, yeah, I'm not sure what you can really do with blockchain. I mean, blockchain has limited applications, right? I, I like to see a, a more, more decentralized uh, world where people can just uh, go and build things easily. And uh, I guess that's part of why I, work, I like the play store because you know, it gives people an opportunity. To, anyone can build an app and anyone can, can build a business off of that, uh, which is really cool. So I like the power of in, empowering individuals and making them independent. That's awesome. Yeah. I, and I see that happening just more and more. I think um, every time a, a, a large company or a company that has a large audience starts to uh, introduce the, the concepts of marketplace and uh, enabling people to, to, um, to, to build things on their own with the technology. That's, that's when, when those companies convert from just like money-making machines to launch pads. And the more launch pads we have in this world, it's, it's gotta be a good thing. It's, it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be a, a, something that makes the world a better place. So yeah, I'm excited about that too, man. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Like, uh, when we were kids, it was just like a pretty, like not a lot of people were into computers and now it's like every, like, People I know, I knew in college who were not computer science people. Like I have a friend who has a, who got a law degree and he's now developing like enterprise software. It's, it's like everybody, like when we were kids, it was like no one was doing it. 
you know, we were kind of like, we had this little secret that we knew about that nobody else did. And it was kind of like obscure, but now it's like, everybody's doing it. You know, you go all over the world and, um, you know, you're probably aware of this. I think you work with people in, in Honduras. Um, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, yeah. And, and thank you for bringing up Honduras, like any country that's like Honduras, um, the, the opportunities are magnified like uh, in, in amazing ways because now somebody that maybe is kind of, they're landlocked in a way they they don't maybe have an opportunity to move out of their country uh, or maybe they haven't found the, 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 the opportunity yet. And they might be kind of under normal circumstances following normal channels. They might be kind of stuck in, in a, in a, in a system that is funneling them towards something that, that is not going to really do anything big in their lives. They're just going to end up following the same patterns that everybody else has in the past. And so like you might be without, without technology, without software, you might be stuck, uh, making, uh, minimum what, what everybody else would consider poverty line kind of thing. But in Honduras, especially software developers, because they can work with any country, anybody in any country in any, in any, in the world, they can make a living for themselves that is, is 10 times more than what they would normally in, uh, in normal circumstances. And I just think that's amazing. I think that's, that's, that's powerful for, uh, for people in other countries that, um, that, that wish they had more opportunities. Well, they do, you know, learn to code. And all these opportunities will open up. Yeah, it's really cool. And there's no there's no shortage of opportunities. Yeah. And uh, the opportunities like beget more opportunities because people yes. build things and then there's a need for more software. So, you know, as Mark Andreessen said, software will he said that software will eat the world, and I think we're seeing that right now where software is, is eating the world. It's time for you to take control. Hey, Byron here, coming at you from a different place and time to put a pause to this podcast and call attention to something really important. You've probably thought at times that it's really hard to get traction in your own learning and growth as a software developer. You should join the Dev Amplifier, the mastery growth system for software developers. In the Dev Amplifier, you'll receive weekly coaching and quests and assessments and check-ins all designed to help you grow from whatever level you're at as a software developer to the next level and amplify your career. It's only $83 a month. So stop everything else that you're doing right now. Pause this podcast and head over to my website to sign up for the Dev Amplifier right now. It'll be the best decision you make all day. Now let's get back to the Driven Developer Podcast. So, so Garrett, it's confession time. Uh-oh. Uh, so <laughs> step into my, uh, my, my confession booth. I'll be the priest. You can be the sinner. And uh, now, Garrett, I would like to know, what is the worst thing you've ever done as a software developer? Um, so this is hard because I don't make that many mistakes. Um, okay. um, I'm laughing because surely, surely... <laughs> You, now, just just saying that was a mistake, Garrett, because now <laughs> all of your past mistakes are going to come flooding back in. 
Yeah, I was I was actually being a little sarcastic. Um, or, but anyways, um, I guess the one thing that comes to mind is when I first started at Google, um, it was kind of tricky because I was I was new to Android. I was working on another platform, and um, I was working on client side stuff. And I checked in some code where uh, I omitted a null pointer check on purpose. Um, I, I didn't want to be overly defensive. I was like, well, we don't need a null pointer check here, but. Um, for some particular uh, UI element or something. But as it turns out, I didn't fully understand the system. I, I thought that um, basically the the, uh, the Android, let's see, I'm trying to remember my Android, the, the fragment stack was limited in how far it could grow. And uh, at a certain case, at a certain scenario, something could be null uh, if the stack got too big. And I didn't realize that and it caused a crash. And the crash was actually quite rare. You'd have to browse, you know, quite deep into the stack to get to it. Um, but uh, this is something that would maybe not even be caught if you're just developing an app. But since we have like a billion users on the Play Store, um, you know, this was causing like, you know, a, like several crashes a minute to people. <laughs> and we didn't, it took us a little while to find out, you know, we were looking through metrics and stuff. And um and uh, yeah, my yeah, and the sin was that I was just rushing. I was like, well, I don't want to. We can't have. We don't need to. We don't need to check null pointers everywhere. Like here, it's not needed. But I didn't take the time to fully understand the entire system and mm -hmm. what was going on because um, I was busy with other things. And uh, and nobody caught it for some reason. And uh, and it caused a bunch of crashes. So so yeah, that's 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 the best example I could think of. <laughs> Good job. And it was scary to me because I was like, oh no, what did I do? But. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully that's a good example. <laughs> it's a it's a good one. It's a good one. When they were looking for the problem, like when they finally started seeing the the crashes coming through, um, did they not just automatically look at the new guy and say it was probably him? Uh, no. I mean, it took a while to find. So this was like um, it was a one percent experiment. So we you know you know we gradually roll everything out. Um, I mean, there's, there's crashes everywhere. Like this, it's not, it's not, this wasn't the only issue. And I was actually the one who finally found it. I don't think it was picked up. Mm, okay. Um, Cause it was, you had to, were able to yeah. maybe fix it and sweep it under the rug a little bit. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but it did delay another launch, which my boss I think was annoyed with because it delayed his, his project because the, the thing that I was adding was just analytics and he needed the analytics to do his launch. So <laughs> I did sort of get in trouble for it because he, he was annoyed that his launch was delayed. Okay. Well, as long as you got in trouble for it, then, you know, I, I consider that uh, penance paid. I was uh, adequately, were, adequately punished for my mistake. Yeah. You are absolved of your sins. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so um, I, I know that you get to work with all, all types of developers at Google and, uh, and you have worked with all types of developers at Microsoft and Nokia and who, wherever else you've, you've been found. And I, I don't know how much you, you get, out into, get out into the community. So you probably have the opportunity and have had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of software developers uh, here and there. So think, think about the entire like, race of software developers uh, as, a, as a category of human. And... Um, what, what do you just wish software developers at a, as a category could just get better at? Maybe to improve our reputation for the rest of the world or just to help us be or smell better. I don't know. Um, 
I mean, one thing I noticed is that at least, well, so I'm used to big, big companies. Um, I don't know what kind of issues happen out like in the open source community. Um, I know that's kind of a different world, but um, what I see in big companies is people sort of like, they get into like, uh, they get siloed sort of. And mm -hmm. a lot of the times people will, will be building the same thing. And, uh, and that usually like culminates in some kind of conflict because you know, only one can prevail. Like if you only need one, one thing, then, then, um, then that's it. You can, you can scrap the other one. Um, so, so I wish developers would, uh, would kind of t take their heads up and, uh, and, and look around them a little bit more and, and see what's going on. Mm, that's a good one. I, I actually, difficult. I think I've experienced this person firsthand. Um, and, and I, I would, I'll, I'll throw out there too, that it, it might not necessarily be the developers too. It could be management. Like that's just not, not helping the developers know what to build. Or maybe that's just like a, a the management structure and style too. Like, I don't know how it is at, at, at Google, but in, um, in, for instance, in, in Ackland Avenue developers, uh, sorry, we, we I don't sorry. Hey, you know what? Garrett, can you talk to the Android team and 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 see if they can get uh, Google Assistant to stop like interrupting me during podcasts? <laughs> I hate that. Just get, get right on that. Uh, but the um, what was I saying before before Google Assistant interrupted me? They um, developers typically in, in like in my company they don't they don't just work on whatever they want to. They they work on on like prescribed things and they, and it's a very coordinated concerted effort. And, and so if, if developers are, are able to work on, on siloed things and they're, they're kind of spending days building things. And then they see at the end of the week that, Oh, we, you built that. I just built that. Then it's, it could be, I mean, it could be a developer problem if, it, if the developers are the ones deciding what they're working on next, but it also could be a management problem. Yeah, that's right. a good point. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. You don't know if the developers are really to, to blame if, if, if they're doing, just doing what they're told. Um, and do they really have the capacity to look around and see what's already built? Um, I don't know. So, yeah, that could be more of a, a, more of a management issue. Uh, I guess I'll bring up another one. Um, maybe sometimes developers are, not okay, are, are too reticent to let go of uh, of a project that needs to be rebuilt so i think a lot of the, like i've seen projects that go on for years and years and years where they're trying to refactor live software where in in reality they could have gotten it done in like a couple like maybe two or three months if they had just built another rebuilt it completely which is much more fun than refactoring it's just like like refactoring live software is very stressful especially if you have a lot of users because anything could break at any time um if you just rebuild it and then roll out the rebuild and then and then deal with those issues, then um, I think it would actually be easier in the long run. Yeah, and and you're right. It's way more fun. It's way more fun. Um, if the again, if the management is is cool with rebuilding, then then that can be that can be a nice. Uh, it's a hard sell because sometimes the management may think, well, rebuilding is more work. Like if you like rebuilding a house is more work than remodeling it. But in the software world, it may be a little bit different. You may not realize that you you, you just get sucked in um, 
doing all these very small changes, um, which have to be rolled out very carefully because you have a live production system. Yeah, there there's some things to watch out for too, just in case anybody's uh, on the fence about whether to rebuild something or 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 continue refactoring it. Um, some some things to consider as you're doing that, which one of them might be, um, you know, if you're about to rebuild something, somehow you owe it to yourself to figure out what were the bugs that were introduced during the first development of the first version so that you don't reintroduce those same bugs into the, the new version, which I think is one of the hardest parts about, about rebuilding something, you know, all of the, all of the natural human assumptions that the first set of developers made, they're likely to repeat those same assumptions, especially if you've got the same people explaining what the, what the, the feature is supposed to do. Yeah. So it's important to do like a, you know, like a, like a postmortem or, um, you know, in your design that, that those should be the first things that are addressed in the rebuild where you say, these are the, these are our big pain points and this is what we're trying to fix. Um, I think that's important. Uh, what I see now a lot, uh, is, uh, is a lot of like modularization and, uh, and, uh, refactoring, um, into, uh, um, like dependency injection type systems, right? With uh, where you can you, you can do test driven development. You can have small testable units. Um, that's like in the last ten years. That's what uh, um, most most rebuilds I've seen have been focusing on is modernization. It seems like modern software is is moving from like uh, you know where you're calling methods and passing parameters to to creating dependency dependency injected. Uh, Basically, whatever Martin Fowler wrote wrote about creating code that, uh huh, uh, in that paradigm. Yeah, Martin Fowler is like the the god of software development. Yeah, these days I think his, whatever his yeah his stuff is is kind of the bible these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Martin Fowler and and Uncle Bob. Do you follow Uncle Bob? No, Bob sorry, I probably should. You should. You should. Uh, yeah, solid principles. Solid, yes. Yeah, came straight from Uncle Bob. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really appreciate uh solid principles because it's like it, it's a it's a good way to to then there there are tons of engineering principles out there that people should probably consider uh, as they're developing, but those the that set of principles is really helpful. Well, the exciting thing about software is a lot of these things are, are still being developed. Like if you're a electrical engineer or a mechanical engineer or an architect, a lot of those standards were, were normalized, you know, several years ago. And they're just sort of like being slowly matured. Whereas now software is, you know, it's not new. Software has been around for, you know, 50, 60, you know, I guess, you know, Alan Turing built his machine, you know, I think like 80 years ago or something. But, um, but it's still relatively new compared to other disciplines and it's, and it's still, it's still adapting. Yeah. It's constantly reinventing itself. Yeah. People are coming up with new ways, new paradigms, new, new, new principles. And another thing that, yeah, that we have to understand is software may not live forever. I mean, I look at stuff I wrote at Google when I first started and it's already been like refactored and like a developer shouldn't see that as an insult necessarily because, um, you know, you built what what made sense for the time. It may have been built pretty 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 well, 
I may have been built extremely well, but, um, you know, things, the systems just grow, especially if you have a lot of talented engineers looking at it. Uh, new requirements are come about, so people find ways to improve things. And, um, and good software needs to be refactored um, over time, or you see, you, you run into situations where you have, you know, like where I was at Nokia, where you have this giant legacy code base that nobody wants to look at anymore because it's like, for example, Symbian was, um, they didn't, they didn't have a, a good garbage collection. It was all in C++ and there was no, um, you couldn't, you had to count your own references. The OS wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't um, garbage collect your, your memory. And that's, that's a modern paradigm that's, that's present in, um, in all application level systems. I mean, obviously if you're, if you're programming like a microcontroller or something, or if you're doing really low level stuff, uh, and C++ or, or, or lower, then, you know, you're not, maybe you don't have a garbage collector because it has too much overhead. But, um, but things like that, where systems, if you don't take care of your system, it's, you have to see it as like a living thing. You know, you can't just see it as like a, an architectural base that you can always build from. Garrett, I just had a weird memory uh, and I'm going to bring it up because uh, I want to, I want to record this in, in for all time. There was something that you used to do that would impress the crap out of me, but I never told you because I didn't want you to get the big head. Right. Uh, so <laughs> we would be, we would be coding along in basic, right. Which made all kinds of sense for us because we were becoming experts at basic, uh, on two different platforms. But then every now and then you would do something in assembler or assembly language. Do you remember that? Um, yeah, vaguely. Yeah, that was, that used to be a thing back in, uh, you could do inline assembly. And when I was in the, I was actually in the game programming when I got into high school, um, a little bit, I would read all these books, uh, you know, obviously like John Carmack was the big hero back in the day and they released like the, you know, the doom source code and you could look at the, um, look at how they were, how they were optimizing stuff. And the thing to do is you would, uh, you would look at the, um, you might get a profiler or you figure out what parts of your your renderer are slow and then you, you could disassemble it in C and you could look at the assembly and then you could try to find ways to optimize it, which is, it's pretty advanced. And I, I haven't done that stuff in years. I wish I could because it was fun, but, um, but and usually you don't need to do it. You need to be doing pretty performant performance intensive stuff, but yeah, that is, that is cool stuff when you can, you can break out. Uh, then you have to, you know, you have to learn. Like once you start doing that, your code is no longer cross-platform, right? Because if you're writing x86 assembly, it's not going to execute on an ARM. So it's very, a very specialized skill. But yeah, that is cool stuff. Yeah, I, I never knew what you would do, were doing. I just thought it was really, really stinking cool. I'm not, I'm not sure if I knew what I was doing either, but I'll take your word for it. Maybe you were just doing it to uh, to see what kind of reaction I would give. Yeah, maybe. Which I'm not sure that I that I um, that I gave you a, a satisfactory reaction because I was trying to to make sure that you didn't think that you were too cool. I didn't. Yeah, that's good. Got to got to make sure that we keep everybody in check. But <laughs> so, developers can get big heads. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's hard for us to fit through the doors. Like you know, we got we got to be able to get through the door to get our, to get dinner or go to the bathroom, whatever. So, um, so dude, um, what? Do you see at, and you can think back to, to Microsoft, Nokia, or Google, what are some of the things that you see great developers doing, especially in the context of, of large corporations? Um, the greatest developers are probably 
people who not only have who have strong development skills, they may not be like, uh, I mean, there's people who are just like technically crazy, but those people are like very specialized. Not everybody needs that. Um, in the more common situations, people who are technically very competent, but can understand like organizational needs and can help push, push a product, uh, to launch. Uh, so I see people who are able to, um, you know, able to, to delegate tasks to teams who are able to, resolve conflicts and, um, and figure out how to work with, uh, other organizations, um, to work with their software, to, um, to, uh, to, to develop the interfaces or to, to inject the requirements that they need to have. So, um, I think it's, you know, being a team player, being sort of humble, you know, uh, understanding, you know, you're good, but everybody else is good. And, uh, and how can you work with them to, uh, to make a good, good project? So you mentioned um, understanding the organization's needs. So I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. Um, I, I I definitely agree with you. I think that great developers uh, are sensitive to the organization's needs. But how? What should they be looking for when it comes to the needs of the organization? Um, I mean, let's look at you. Look at what they do well, and look at uh, and look at uh, who you're working with. And, um, and I guess make something work. Like when I started at Google, we worked on this project that was, it was kind of, we were trying to optimize the store to work better in emerging markets. And we were doing it in a way that, you know, that wasn't really, um, leveraging the, the Google strong points. And, um, you know, I, I didn't like it. I was kind of arguing with like, um, the original authors of it, but I couldn't really, redo it and what happened what ended up happening is another team kind of took over the project and they did a, they did a really good job with it um they ended up using machine learning to optimize uh uh this the uh how the store would would cash basically or something like that so so someone was able to figure that out and they were able to um they were able to, to, to realize that google has a lot of strong assets in machine learning and they, they were able to um uh to use that I suppose. So what are some other things that you see great developers doing in, in the large corporation context? Um, I mean, there's different types of developers. Like some of them are, are good at, good at selling. Like we had a, a guy at, at my previous job who ended up getting, getting promoted, who um, he, he started as a junior engineer. He got promoted to senior engineer. And uh, his thing is he realized that we didn't have a good, uh, a good source control management system. I mean, we had something, but it was kind of like, uh, like tuned to, um, to manage several code branches that were, that were sort of like applied to different phone models. But, uh, he, he set something up, he set up a continuous integration system, which we didn't have yet. He set up like automated testing and, uh, he integrated uh, everything into Perforce. He started a team. So he basically found an opportunity and uh and he capitalized it and uh and it wasn't like technically the most difficult thing you know but um uh, but he made it work um so that's another person's example from my perspective i'm better at like looking at product requirements and making making a product that's kind of i'm more on the product wheelhouse so like um like an example of something i did at nokia is we switched over to uh to Windows Phone, and our team was kind of like homeless. We didn't, 
I think we were going to get, they were going to send us over to Accenture and uh, everybody hated that because they, they, they would have preferred to get laid off because then they can just get a severance package and find a new job. They didn't really want to work for Accenture. So everyone was really bummed. So we had to find a way to, to, keep, to, to stay involved. And, um, and I, I ended up picking up this project. Uh, they were like, well, we need a way to, to transfer contacts from an old Nokia phone to one of these new Windows phones so people can more easily buy. You know, Nokia people on the legacy platform can go you know, get their Windows phone. Uh, so, th- so my boss said, well, we're looking at this. And I basically jumped on it. And I ended up, I ended up um, attracting a big team. And, and one thing I, uh, I did is I worked with the team that had developed the old. I found these. I'd worked with them in the past. And I found them. And I was like, okay, what? You guys did the old contact transfer. Like, wh- how should we do this? You know, you, you know, lend us your expertise. And, um, and they gave us this really, uh, this really key insight to the Bluetooth protocol like how we could leverage some existing protocols to um, um, to make it very, very seamless and easy to transfer contacts. You're basically, we're basically emulating a car <laughs> to yeah. transfer contacts. Um, and it was, it was kind of sneaky, but uh, uh, we made it work. And then the other thing I did is we had a team. I figured out what my team could do. Um, and then I figured out what we couldn't do. And we needed some, some, we were working, we had a liaison with Microsoft and I figured out that we, that a certain portion of the stack we couldn't build in time to meet the product schedule. And I didn't want to be late. I wanted this thing to be on the first Windows phone. So I was able to, you know, understand the technical requirements and I was able to get, we were able to get a piece of software delivered from Microsoft, uh, integrated into our stack. And with that piece of software, we were able to, um, uh, to complete the project on time. What I'm hearing there, Garrett, is that, um, you know, you and, and, and surrounded by, by great developers too, you all were in tune to the, uh, the resources and the experience that was around you and you weren't, uh, you, you guys were, were humble enough to reach out and ask another team, how did you do this? Well, if you were going to do this, how would, how would, uh, how would you go about it? What are some of the things that you uh, that that you wish you could have done? And you know, a lot of developers, unfortunately, are a little bit too prideful to be able to bring themselves to ask for somebody else's advice because I don't know. We're we we're, we're we think that we're supposed to do everything. We think that we're yeah. supposed to be able to um, hang the moon, and maybe 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 we really can't. But we have this imposter syndrome thing that makes us maybe you know, think that we're supposed to keep it all to ourselves. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's very real. Um, so I think, you know, when you develop seniority, that's kind of something that you learn how to do. You realize, okay, you're smart. You can only do so much and other people can do so much and you have to be pragmatic and, and know, know when to, um, to ask for help. Um, another thing is you need to know when to give other people help. Maybe you see another engineer struggling and they don't want to ask for help at all. They're, they they may be struggling, and they may not. They may be having a terrible time, and they don't want to say a word to you because they think that you're gonna, you know, think that they're dumb or something. And they're not dumb. They just don't know know how to do do things a certain way. So that's another thing to look out for. Look out for other people who who um, who may may get may get left behind if they don't get the right coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And, and, and thanks for, uh, thanks for using the word coaching. You, did you realize I had a coaching program? 
Or are you just throwing that out? I, I, I saw that, but it's, it's a good word. I actually took a class at Nokia where they, they said, uh, they said, be a coach, not a boss. Basically that was, the, yeah. that was the thing. Like you want to learn how to foster a, foster a team. Don't, if you're just telling people what to do, um, that works, you know, you can be, you can be that person, but you're not going to have the strongest team. If, and if, um, you know, some other team with with a person who's a, who's a good coach is going to be able to outperform you with the same group of people. Yeah, I mean, considering the world's track record of promoting great developers to management, um, we, we should we should probably it, it's probably okay to to kind of uh, mention a few things that that make great managers too. Because if we're gonna if we're if we're moving in that direction anyway, which I don't think is always the right choice, but uh, we. Um, yeah, we, we should all try to be more coaches than than managers. I mean, like you say, management, command and control kind of thing, it can work, but it's not sustainable, uh, or it's not it's not it's not the best way. It can't it can't really drive people to innovate. It's just going to drive people to do what you know what to tell them to do. But if you want if you want people to be able to go beyond you as a manager and you want them to be able, and you want them to want to go beyond you, then you need to coach them instead of command and control them. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, great point. Um, I mean, you can have people who are managers of developers who don't even know anything about software. I say that very carefully because I, I don't really, in my career, I would have hated that. I'd be like, who is this person who's never done software trying to manage me? But, um, but there's, like, there's kind of like two axes you can develop on. Um, if you're growing in seniority, you can try to become a super awesome technical person. If that's what you want to do, you know, you're an introvert, you know, I'm an introvert. Maybe you just want to, maybe you just want to be like the most awesome programmer ever. Like there's lots of people like that. Um, or maybe you want to develop your skills to the point where you're competent and maybe you're more of a people person and you want to grow your, your coaching skills. And you're absolutely right. The best coach is not, the best programmer is not going to be the best coach. And quite often it's not, it's, it's quite the contrary. Like if you're, you know, super heads down, you're, you're, you're brilliant in so many ways. Um, you know, you might want to be aware, okay, maybe you're not the best people person, maybe some, or maybe you, maybe it's time to develop those skills as well. You know, there's lots of things you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, and, and I know you, you realized this, but as, since this is like, this is exactly what I'm trying to do with my coaching program, which is like, on a weekly basis, we are instilling these kinds of skills into developers that maybe it would take them 10 years to accumulate all of these skills just by chance. And, and, and now they're in a coaching program where every single week they're getting, they're getting uh, really valuable soft skills just drilled into them. And then they end up with a, doing a, a quest throughout the week. It's kind of like gamification. They do a quest all throughout the week where they're actually trying out that skill. Um, and and then, then I asked them on Saturday, hey, what were the results? Did you do the quest? Did you finish it? What were the results? Uh, what did you find? And it's super interesting, the, the insights that people are generating that they never would have. Like um, this past week, we talked about going from awareness to mastery and actually like having an intentional process of being able to, uh, to, to shift from just awareness. Like one day you're just aware that dependency injection is a thing. You're just aware that there are solid principles. And then 
maybe in, in 10 years, if you just accidentally let it happen, you are, are a pretty good practitioner of solid principles or you're, you're pretty, pretty good implementer of, of dependency injection. Um, but if you do that, if you do that intentionally, if you go intentionally from awareness to mastery and like step by step, making it being a, a, uh, an on purpose process, you can get to mastery lightning faster than, than you can if you just kind of by hap, by happenstance accumulate the skills. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, it, it might annoy like some old guard people who had to, who had to, <laughs> to fight and earn those skills over years. But that's how anything else goes. You know, if you look at like, you know, you're playing a sport or something or trying to learn how to play golf or going to the driving range, you can learn a lot faster by getting instruction. You have to pay for it, but you're going to get your monies back in spades because um, your learning process is much faster and you don't have to waste so much of your life, you know, within uh, in the school of hard knocks. You, you learn things the right way and then you can um, – you can leverage that in your career. So that's really cool. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with your academy, but it sounds really cool. You should join Garrett. You should join okay. my coaching program. <laughs> Maybe. That, that would be super weird because you basically taught me how to program so, so many years ago. So that would be. Or did I? I thought we were both learning at the same time. I don't we kind of were. But your dad was teaching you and then you would, we would just kind of, I don't know. It was just a big, uh, it was a big group effort. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. So how in Google, like if you just look around, how does Google help people move from that like super early stages of learning and mastery, like awareness to higher levels of mastery and expertise? So in big corporations, there's a lot of coaching. Um, in terms of technical things, like uh, you learn a lot in code reviews. Like, so you're, you know, Google, like you have all these like super smart people looking at your code which is like, um, you know, it's basically insane because people have perspectives that you never even thought of. They might be better, they might be good, but you might not want to apply them. There's so many things. So part of it is just collaborating with people and, and learning. Um, and then if you're, learning, if you're in, an, in an agile environment, you're doing like, of course, we don't do agile that often at Google, but if you're doing that, you know, you have a lot of sync syncs with people. You, um, you know, you're talking every day, you're sharing information. Um, another thing that, pe that people do at Google is they... Um, there's a lot of one-to-one -one meetings with, uh, with, with team leads. I do, I do one-to-one with everybody on my team. Um, I have one-to-one -one with my manager, with my manager's manager. So you have all these meetings where you're forced to sit down with somebody for half an hour. And basically you get a coaching session where you can, you can talk about what you're struggling with and, and, the, and a more senior engineer will be like, okay, Hey, I've dealt with these things. Here's some ideas. Uh, maybe their ideas will help. Maybe they won't. Usually they will. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think coaching is a big thing. Where you have um, at Google, you're in an environment where you have a lot of a lot of smart people, and and you can sit down with them, and you can um, and this is the same at Nokia. Um, uh, but you, you just sit down and and you give advice and things like that. Um, there's also there's also lots of seminars. Um, we have we do tech talks where people will will discuss the thing that they built, and they'll discuss the challenges, and then they'll discuss the, the results. Um, there's a lot of documentation you can read. Um, you can look at postmortems. You can see how things failed. Like we have a newsletter where, where they'll talk about like, you know, engineering mishaps <laughs> and how they dealt with them on a large scale. So um, things like there's a lot of things, things like that. So tell me about a few of the um, the things 
that you notice, like characteristics of junior developers that kind of signal that they are on the cusp or ready for some sort of promotion or, or moving into a more senior level uh, at Google? Uh, for me, I look for independence. I, I wait for someone to come to me and say they have like, they started a new thing <laughs> and the new thing makes a lot of sense. And I have no, I had no idea that they're doing it. <laughs> and at first, like one, you know, at first you might think, well, why are you doing this thing? But, but, but the fact is that they're growing and they're, you know, they're, they're ready for, um, for more independence. So, um, so that's one thing. I mean, um, I guess looking at code, you can always monitor how people are doing. You can see their code is getting better. They're, they're, they're understanding, you know, modularity. They're, you know, they're, they're writing good tests. They're, they're conforming to all the standards. There's, there's technical things like that. And then there's like, I guess, like more soft skill things where you see people becoming more independent. Uh, you ever noticed a soft skill that either diminishes if they lack it or accentuates if they have it? One of their hard skills. It uh, uh, that's interesting. Um, um, I guess like socialization is one thing. Like, like one here's a here's a funny story. So early on at Google, there was this there's this really brilliant guy um, from uh, from Eastern Europe who, who who was kind of quiet. He didn't talk to a lot of people, but he was like super smart. You know, he wrote good code. He he was just like on top of everything. And then like one day, like we had all these challenges with this project. And then one day he, he spit out this document that was like, it was like a dissertation. It was like 40 pages long. And it was like super detailed going over all the challenges and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. But like, I don't see how it helps anything because everyone else is already looking at this, you know? So, so he had all these skills that he could, um, you know, he, he could apply, but it didn't help because, um, because he went off and did his own thing. So I, I guess that, that goes back to my previous idea of getting silo or, you know, developers. And you know, sometimes maybe it makes sense to be silo. Maybe you can go off and build this beautiful thing and then come back and share it with everybody. And it's, it's wonderful, but um, you have to make sure you build the right thing. So I think, I think part of it is, is understanding is, is, you know, socializing, understanding what other people are, uh, are doing where uh, if, if they don't, if they can't do that, then, then they're not going to be as effective. They'll go off and build something and then they'll be extremely frustrated because they put a lot of work into something and it's not super helpful. On the flip side, you say, if you have the soft skill, it accentuates. So you have engineers who aren't even like that strong of engineers, but if they're able to go through, like the guy I said, who, who went in and, and set up continuous integration, like they, they went, they figured out a need and they went in, they didn't even have to do that much complex engineering, but they figured out the organizational need and they were able to sell it and um and uh and make it happen and then like one more thing i'll touch on is like salesmanship is not something i'm good at um you're probably but you're probably pretty good at it but um but uh if a developer can can build something cool and they, they don't sell it right you know maybe other, it won't be as perceived as well from other developers so so salesmanship is a is a thing you may not necessarily have to explicitly sell it you just have to figure out how to present yourself in such a way that people are going to respect what you're doing Otherwise, you might end up like, uh, you know, like, uh, I guess, you know, like, like Nikola Tesla, you know, he's, he's revered today. But in his time, you know, nobody knew who he was. He built all these like wonderful things far ahead of his time. But um, 
but he, you know, I think he died in poverty or something, you know, it was really sad. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is sad. And, and I, I, I feel the same way often about, um, just absolutely genius software developers who I have every confidence me as a, as a technologist, as a technology leader, I have every confidence putting them on a project. I, I trust them not to drop the ball. I trust them to do a good job, clean code, um, bug free. You know, I, I, I have a lot of confidence in the person as a technology leader, but if I put them in front of a, a, a leader or a client or something like that, that's not, that's not a technologist or doesn't have the eye for, for capacity that I do, uh, the eye for potential that I do, and also just history with people. I can't put developers like that in front of clients and expect them to, ha- to, to inspire the same confidence that they inspire in me. And so those, whatever it is, those soft skills, it might be what you're talking about with like sales and being able to, to sell yourself or sell the idea it's communication, it's, um, it's whatever it is about great developers that inspire others to have confidence. It doesn't matter how strong technically you are. If you don't have that, if you don't have that, whatever that is, probably should put a name on it, but whatever that is, if you don't have it, then, then you might be senior, but you'll never look senior. And you may never be trusted like a senior should. Yeah. And that's something I think I struggled with early in my career. I thought I was doing really good stuff, but it took me longer to get promoted than, um, than I would have thought. And I think part of it was just, um, yeah, just, um, just being able to socialize and, uh, and, uh, and have a little bit of, uh, I guess, charisma about your, uh, your projects. Um, it's, it's hard to touch on, as you say. Well, you say that you're an introvert. And, and I I agree. You've always been an introvert in a way. Um, I am also an introvert and it, it might surprise anybody to hear that because I'm, I'm a podcast podcast host and I'm getting out there on video and I'm doing all, all kinds of things, but, but I'm telling you introverts can fake it. Uh, extroverts cannot. So, so this is, I, I'm actually going to come out there and say that introverts have it better if, if they can, if they can grow that part where we can get out there and fake it. Like right now I'm all bubbly. I'm full of, I'm full of uh, charisma and, and excitement. Uh, I'm faking it hundred okay. percent. Uh, I would totally not be, I would rather not be talking to anybody right now. Even you Garrett. Uh, it's just, I mean, and, and I like human beings. I just don't like to hang out with them that much. It's just, I'm, I'm, that's my, that's my core. That's who I am at my core. Um, but introverts, introverts are better, I think, than extroverts because we can do both. We can reap the benefits of, of, of being able to sit by ourselves and introspect and analyze. And we can, we can, we have, we have this, this ability to focus like, like extroverts only, only dream they could. And, but we can also fake it and we can get out there and socialize and sell and communicate and, and present and all kinds of things. Extroverts, poor, poor things. They, they can only, um, they, they can only be social. They don't get the benefits on the other side of introverts. Now, okay. I'm making a blanket statement. I'm whitewashing an entire, uh, the entire human race. Uh, 
What do you think about that, Garrett? Is there is there any truth to what I just said? Uh, that's really interesting. Um, it, it makes sense. I, I don't know if I've, I've gotten as philosophical about this as you have. Um, and it's nice to have to hear a shout out for introverts because usually extroverts get all the love. You know, they're more fun at parties. Um, <laughs> they seem to have all the fun in life. But, uh, you know, maybe some of the people who build the best businesses are, are introverts, you know, because they can, like you said, they can kind of go in, strategize, and then and then uh, develop that strategy and use it. Maybe that's more of an introverted type type skill. So yeah, that makes sense. That's a cool. I've no, that's a cool way of looking at it. I, I don't think I've really I've really thought of it that way. Well, the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because um, I mean, obviously, you have been able to uh, overcome a lot of the a lot of the the problems that might come from introvertedness. That if we don't intentionally like reshape that part of us if we don't kind of reinvent a little bit and learn to fake it then then that introvertedness or sometimes pe- people call it shyness uh that shyness is the thing that is holding us back from that promotion from the raise from uh being trusted to go out and and, and be in front of customers um and on the other hand you might have extroverts that are that are pretty good technically, but probably are, are looking senior, more senior than anybody else because they can sell naturally. They can communicate naturally. Uh, they just feel they inspire confidence more quickly, more naturally. Um, and I think that, that a lot of developers out there need to hear and need to see examples like you, Garrett, that, uh, and, 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 and like to an extent also like me, uh, even though I'm, I'm completely faking it, but like being able to overcome the shyness or the, um, the, the not really wanting to be social. Like I don't, I hate parties. I, I do not want to be the life of the party. I can't stand those things. Uh, I'd rather be at home, you know, staring at a wall. Really. I would rather be staring at a wall than go to a party. But, um, and, and I don't know, you might be, you might agree with me that that might actually sound pretty nice staring at a wall, but, um, tell me Garrett, how, how did you, and we're coming up at, at to to the end of the time, so uh, so I'll 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 wrap things up here in just a second. But before we do that, I, I want to give you a chance. How what what is some advice that you could give to to the world's introverts that might help them to uh, either overcome some of the some of the the natural introvert tendencies that might hold us back, or uh, or, or or just be able to step out of our our, our shell. Um, well, uh, I would say, first of all, know your limitations. Um, if you're an introvert, you're just not naturally going to be the life of the party. You might have your moments. Um, just like an extrovert isn't going to be able to go and develop, you know, some, some cool thing on their own. Introvert's not going to be able to, it's not going to be like the, you know, you know, the, um, the all-star at the party. But at the same time, develop a strategy. Uh, realize that you have to get out and do things. If you were just sitting by yourself in your house, you know, you, you can't survive like that. You have to go outside and do stuff. Um, and um, yeah, develop a strategy. Realize that, you're, you know, you're not going to be, maybe you're a great coder. You're not going to be, you know, the best at parties. It's like that meme where you see the guy at the party. He's like, well, he doesn't know that I, I just made it, you know, a million dollars in blockchain, you know. And there's this other guy talking to a girl and someone standing in the corner and like, no one understands how cool I am, you know. You have to say, okay, I have to go out and do stuff. You know, you're at a party. People expect you to participate. You have to do that. And um, and it'll be fun. It won't be too bad. 
Um, you just have to kind of put forth the effort and uh, you might make some mistakes, but uh, as long as you do your best, you know, people will probably respect you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, at a certain point too, you've, you've got to feel so confident in your, in your technical abilities. I mean, people that have been in this for a long time and have been developing those technical abilities, uh, so, so intently, uh, you, you've surely by now you feel really great about those tech skills. And if that's the case, then lean on that and, and maybe just stop caring what everybody else thinks and, and, you know, take what's yours. If, if it's, if it's the esteem of your colleagues and, and they're not used to listening to you, then maybe you should start speaking up in meetings and, 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 and claim that esteem that, um, that, that you're due because you've got, you've got this technically, you've got it. You just need to uh, be heard. And, uh, and, and I think even, even for the younger developers out there, uh, you've gone, you've gone through college, you've gone through coding bootcamp or whatever. You've got the technical skills. Now you might even, uh, be really good at some things. And, and if you are, if you're being held back, look at yourself, honestly, if you're being held back by anything, soft skills, whatever, then, then attack it, get rid of it systematically, uh, make a list and like once a month focus on one of those things and just get rid of it uh, or join my coaching program, which I'll help you do that. Um, so, okay, Garrett, one last piece of advice. If you could give one piece of advice to the world's junior developers, fresh out of college, fresh out of coding school, uh, bright eyed, ready to take on the world. What advice would you give them? Um, write an app, develop a project. Think of something that you that is interesting to you that would that would um, help your life, and go and develop it on your own and see how it goes. Uh, worst case scenario, you learn a lot, and uh, you have some skills that you can apply later. Um, best case scenario, you end up building a business out of it. Yeah, and uh, and 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 definitely they should put it on on uh, on where right. Yeah, Andrew, we need to build Android Wear. We need to build the ecosystem. So, so create your Wear app. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. So, uh, Garrett, I really appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate your impact on my life, even from so many years ago. Um, I appreciate you coming on this podcast and, um, and, and sharing your wisdom and, and experience with, with our audience. I know that they got a lot out of it. Um, and uh, I, I'm excited about the next time that we can get together, and um, maybe by then you'll you'll be working for uh, for Facebook because you've already you're kind of making the rounds a little bit. So um, you know if you're if you're out, if you're out there working for Facebook next, then we can uh, we can talk about seniority at Facebook uh, or or Netflix, one of the fang. You know, you've done Microsoft, now you're at Google. Super. I don't know. I'm just expecting I'm expecting some movement, Garrett. Let's get moving. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Byron. It was good to talk about uh, some old childhood memories and. Um, and thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm happy right. to, to share to share whatever knowledge I have. All right. Hey, uh, real quick, how can people contact you or uh, find you, follow you, or is there anything that you want to promote? Um, I don't have a lot of social media out there. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Spoken like a true introvert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find me on, uh, let's see, what is my, oh yeah. LinkedIn.com slash in slash G. 
So that's H A M A N N G. All right. Uh, you we'll can put find it in the show notes too, so people can just click it. Uh, oh, can I? Oh, the link. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, be expecting lots and lots of messages of, of, uh, of requests for advice and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, sure. I'm happy to help. Awesome. All right, man. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today on the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. This podcast is for you. It's all about trying to help you become what the world needs you to be, a driven developer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with others or comment down below. If you'd like to follow me or this podcast, just look us up on facebook.com slash driven developer. And we'll see you next time.